All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Church at Home. I'm Albie Powers. Justin Barney. And we are here, kind of tag teaming again, to give you uh, just a lesson from God's Word that we hope you'll enjoy and will be applicable uh, to your life where you're at. But if you could take a moment real quick and share and like this video, especially if you're watching on Facebook, be a big help, helps more people can see what we're doing. Uh, But Justin, would you just pray for the message uh, before we get started? Definitely. Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask that you, uh, the giver of all wisdom, would would speak to us now. Open our eyes uh, to see you. Open our ears to hear you. As we look through your scriptures, as we uh, pull out some of the truths from your word, I pray that you'd speak to each one who's watching now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read for you the verses we're going to look at this morning out of Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're going to be in verses 21 through 23. So let me read those to you. It says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Wow, that's a lot. It is. So how are we going to break that down? What are you going to look at today? Yeah, so uh, we're back in Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we're going to look at something that I kind of called the gospel paradox. And so if you think about a paradox is it's something that sounds contradictory at first, but when investigated, it turns out to be true. Um, you know any good paradoxes? Uh, how about uh, nobody goes to that restaurant, uh, it's too crowded. That's, that's a good one. One of my favorite paradoxes. <laughs> uh, so here is the gospel paradox. It goes like this. So for a follower of Jesus, the gospel paradox is, Everything is going to be okay, even if everything's not going to be okay. That's definitely a paradox. (laughs) Um, So I think you're going to need to unpack that for us as Christians. Uh, What does it mean that uh, everything is going to be okay, even if everything's not going to be okay? Yeah. So just here's a little teaser for where you're going. I know uh, personally, I believe and I've always believed that hope, a real Christian hope allows us to face reality in a way, unlike anything else. Um, We can hold fast the promise that one day Jesus will restore all things. One day Jesus will redeem everything and make it all right. Like this is going to happen. It's no, no, no matter what. And so this truth allows us to face the sometimes, I would say difficult day-to-day reality that we have without going into, I would say naive optimism or undue pessimism. Everything's going to be okay, even if everything's not going to be okay. And the, the verses we're going to look at from Colossians, they're, they're really practical for us today because you know, Paul wrote this letter because the Colossians were being tempted to shift their hope from the gospel and on Jesus onto something else. Uh, in fact, it, this is actually kind of a warning passage, warning them not to do it because of, because of what would happen. And you, you might not realize it, uh, you know, we talk about this sometimes, but what, what you place your hope in for the future has an incredible impact on your, on your day to day. And when the object of your hope, when that gets threatened, it can produce a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So you just said that when the object of your hope gets threatened, it can produce a huge amount of anxiety. Can you just explain that? 
for us. Yeah. So we all place our hope in something for a better future. You know, it might be in a person, you know, thought if, hey, if I could just marry the right person, then I'll have my happily ever after. Or if, you know, I could just get this job and then I'd be more fulfilled. Or, you know, if I could just get my body to look a certain way, if I could just reverse the effects of the last 10 weeks of quarantine and carbs, then, <laughs> then I'd be happy. You know, I could name a hundred examples. Um, but when that thing that is the object of your hope gets threatened, you know, it produces anxiety in you because it threatens your future. And it's not like there's anything wrong with those things that I just said. Like who wouldn't uh, want to have a, a great marriage or a job that fulfills them or as we're getting towards summer, you know, a body that you're not afraid to be at the beach with. Like who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that? Um, and I don't want to minimize by any means the very real issues and pressure that a lot of us are, are facing right now. It's just that the temporal and uncertain nature of a lot of things we place our hope in, it's just not strong enough to carry the weight of, of that. Yeah, and I, I would say, I feel like it's pretty safe to say that we're living in an incredibly uncertain time right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's just all, just, let's just all take a deep breath. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed this, whenever you go to the doctor and he's trying to kind of check your lungs and they ask you to do that, and you, know, you do it like five times. It's very cold usually. Yeah, and for whatever reason, it's exhausting. You know, it's like I've never felt uh, taking a breath was so much work. Uh, anyways, that's not what we were here to uh, talk about today. <laughs> but um, this is an anxiety producing time because of the uncertainty of it. Even if you don't think you're anxious right now, you probably actually are more than you realize uh, because anxiety is our body's response to stress. It's a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. And that also can be heightened if due to the nature of uncertainty. It's one thing to be, be anxious about something you know is coming. It's a whole different type of anxiety when you don't know uh, what's coming. I was reading a, a study this week that said, uh, and I, I didn't spend a ton of time fact-checking it, but I think it's pretty true, that Americans on average have the capacity to deal with one major thing of anxiety at a time. And some people might have a little bit more or less, but that's probably pretty true on average. And so right now, we probably have at least four major sources of anxiety that we're all dealing with or just uncertainty. You know, fear around health, whether it's for yourself or loved ones, um, then that could just be both mental and physical. Fear, maybe uncertainty around our government's ability to control and handle this and make the right decisions. Uh, worries about the economy and the economic future. And, but I think the fourth one I've heard a lot from people is just the reality of an uncertain future. There's a lot of people in our community I've talked to that really haven't been hit by a ton of stuff yet, but it's just the uncertainty that's getting to them of like, you know, when can we go back to normal? When can I drop my kids back off at grandma's for like a month? For you grandparents out there, some of you are going to grandparents so hard pretty soon. So hard. hard. Uh, You know, when can we open up church? When can we go back to the business? When are things going to go back to normal? And this is all incredibly disorienting. Yeah, I I would agree. I I see it. I feel it. Uh, We know it. So what is the gospel? I guess the question is, what is the gospel and what is the Christian hope have to say about all this? Because I think it has something very unique to add as a voice to this whole issue. Yeah, I think Christianity is uniquely positioned to offer a realistic solution and a realistic hope. 
I said before, hope has been the th- a big theme in Colossians so far. And, and Christian hope is a, unique, is a unique thing. You know, hope in the Christian sense is not wishful thinking. It's not, you know, I, I hope I win the lottery or I hope the Patriots are somehow good this year. Like that's not what Christian hope probably is. Not gonna <laughs> probably, probably not going to happen. Exactly. Uh, Christian hope, it's confident. It's a confident expectation for a better future based on what has happened in the past. And it's based on the, you know, the real event of the resurrection of Jesus. And because we know that's because we believe that is real, our hope for the future is concrete and solid. And it's not based on our, our day-to-day circumstances. It's based on a future reality. So that's why I say the gospel paradox is everything is going to be okay, even if everything isn't going to be okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I'm, I'm tracking. You're tracking? I'm tracking okay. along so far, yeah. At least there's one, there's one of you tracking. One of us tracking. Uh, so the pattern, this pattern for hope is clearly seen in our passage. I already read it, but let me just do the quick recap of what Paul says. So in verse 21, he just says, at one time you Colossians were estranged from God because your evil thoughts and deeds. But now you've been reconciled to God through Christ's death and resurrection. And because of that, you, know, you can carry with you the hope that one day you're going to be presented before God as blameless. But this hope is contingent upon you continuing in the faith. Uh, so we'll look at verse 21. That's their past. And, and Paul says this, and you who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You know, anyone around here, out here, have a past that you might not be proud of? Not at all. No, no, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the club. And Paul gives a threefold description of, uh, this, of, this, of this church's past. He says, the first thing is you were alienated. So this is, a, this is a relational term. You were estranged from the family, not part of relationship. And not only were they alienated, but they were actively hostile in mind towards God, which played itself out in their actions of doing evil deeds. So Paul describes them as actively resisting God or taking a, like a defiant stance against God, right? Yes, which makes the next part of what Paul says so incredible and is a beautiful part of the gospel because he goes on to say, so you who are alienated, hostile, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Uh, so reconciliation is the opposite of alienation. It's the repairing of a broken relationship. It's bringing two parties back together. And in all of our relationships, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, whatever, whenever reconciliation needs to happen, it's always because both parties have contributed to some way, even if it's just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, one thing we try to do in counseling situations, I know, is when we try to help people see what part they need to own in the whole thing. What did you contribute to the breakdown of this uh, relationship or this situation? Even if it's a little bit, I think, you know, we agree each party has something that they can usually own in the situation that they bring to the table. And often we tell people, hey, if you don't think yours is more than 50%, we're not going to make any progress, even if it's not. Um, But this is not how it works with the gospel. The story is we were the hostile ones. We were the cause of the breakdown. Uh, God did not share any of the blame. And our reconciliation to God is so powerful because even though God was not the party at fault, he paid the entire cost to reconcile us. Uh, he's, he took the steps. There was no, we didn't meet God halfway. Like we were hostile. The pictures, we were hostile running the other way. He paid it all and chased us down so we could be reconciled back to him through his death and resurrection on the cross. 
And so then Paul, then he reminds them of their future. He says, because this is true, know this. You want to know what God's beautiful, wonderful plan for your life is? Probably not to have a big house and get rich. It's this. One day you're going to be presented before God as holy, blameless, and above reproach. He, Paul uses three, th- three positive things to kind of negate the negatives. You who were alienated, hostile in mind and deed, are now going to be presented before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Um, I know you've watched them. I watched them. You watched the, the, the Property Brothers, Fixer Up, or all these renovation shows. Absolutely. I feel like we were on Property or property pastors there for a while in the beginning of the building phase. Yeah, we lived, we, we lived it we for lived a while. It. Uh, I love how God, this, this passage is showing that God is in the business of transformation. You know, think about those shows that are always so, so popular, you know, again, Property Brothers, Flipper Flop. They, what they often do is they take the worst house in the block. They, they pick the biggest dump, but then they see its potential. They have to do some serious work, but then at the end, the results are always amazing. And there's the analogy between us is like, we can't fix ourselves up. We need outside intervention. Uh, but because God has unlimited resources in this department, like always on those shows, it's like, this is our budget and we can't go over it. And imagine what we could do if we had unlimited budget. God has that unlimited budget in a sense. And he can take the biggest mess and transform it into something that is holy and acceptable and above reproach. Uh, and when God gets involved, there's no flops. Amen to that. <laughs> can, Thank God. Can I get that. an amen? <laughs> so, so, Albie, here's what I hear you saying. For those of us who are Christians, at one point, because of our sin, we were alienated from God. Not only were we alienated, but we were hostile towards Him. Both our minds and our actions uh, showed that. But because of the cross, through faith, we have been reconciled to God, and His future plan for us is that one day we will stand before Him holy blameless and above reproach. And I love that. I love that theme. I think it brings a lot of hope, um, you know, as I think about those things. Um, But how does that help us in the present day? Like I'm thinking more like what in the day-to-day life, how does that help us? Yeah. How does this help you tomorrow? Um, I think knowing that, knowing that truth allows you to embrace this gospel paradox. Because again, the paradox of the gospel is we can have a, we can both in one hand have a never- uh, shaking hope in our future and a very real future that it will be better, that we're going to get through this, ironically, even if we don't. It allows us to hold those, those two things in tension where we don't have to pretend that the very real difficult circumstances we might be facing aren't as difficult as they seem. So my big question, million-dollar question here is, uh, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Uh, I'm not sure, but I strive to be a gospelist. I just, I just made that did word just up. That I, word did, up? Okay. I did, I did. Um, but it's going to be Urban Dictionary pretty soon. <laughs> but listen to Paul's warning. Paul goes on and says, he's like, this is, this is all true, but it, it's almost contingent. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Because Paul knows he's, he, and he's experienced that we're always tempted to shift our hope off of Jesus and onto something else. You're always tempted to place our, like our future and what we hope will happen somewhere else. And maybe here's a question you, you know, to think about right now is what are you most counting on for a better future? 
almost what you know, what basket are you putting all the uh, are you putting all those eggs in? Um, there goes those eggs again. Yeah, those eggs. Albie loves eggs. They come out a lot. It's weird. It's, it's 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 very weird. Now you know, just now we talk like like everybody else. We want this to be over and done with. We hope there's a treatment or a vaccine, something in the near future. Um, that you know, we hope the economy quickly rebounds. But we've also asked talk to ourselves like, what if it doesn't? Do we, have, do we have the resources to handle that? Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a thought that I think we've, we all have. Um, you were telling us about something called the Stockdale Paradox this week, and I found it really surprising. Yeah, this was, a, I, I stumbled across this in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and this week it kind of came, came back to me, and he, he had talked about this, uh, and here's a kind of rhetorical question, but do you know what types of people typically do the worst during times of extreme difficulty and uncertainty? Like what types of people struggle the most in times of difficulty? Uh, and here's the surprising answer. It's actually optimists. Yeah, you would not expect that. Yeah, that sounds crazy, but it's shown to be true time and time again. And uh, here is the Stockdale paradox. It comes from a, a, a US war uh, officer, this guy named James Stockdale. And so during the Vietnam War, he was captured, he was a prisoner of war, and he spent seven years uh, as, a, you know, as a prisoner of war facing some of the most, his story is just brutal, facing some of the most unimaginable things you, you would expect. You know, he, he was starved, randomly tortured, and his day-to-day was really, really bad. And th- on top of that, what was so difficult, it's not like he had a prison sentence, like he knew he was gonna be in there for seven years. It was totally uncertain, never had any, any idea when the end was gonna be in sight. Uh, but amazingly, he survived. And so Jim Collins, when he was writing his book, interviewed him because he had written a kind of a memoir about of experience. And he was curious and he, he asked him this question. He said, so who fared the worst in concentration camps? And here, here's his interaction. And Stockdale goes, oh, that's easy. It was the optimists. And so Collins responds like the optimists, I don't understand. He goes, here's why. He's like, the optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go. And they kind of moved the goalposts and say, you know, we're going to be out of this by Easter. Easter would come and go. And, you know, for sure we'll be out of this by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving would come and go. Christmas would come and go. And uh, he said, eventually they died of a broken heart. Like they could even, tra- like there was a ton, like disproportionate number of deaths between Christmas and New Year's. Wow. And um, so, I know, a super heartwarming story. <laughs> but the, it, the Stockdale paradox is this ability that, so he says, this is what got me through. I had an unwavering belief that, I wa- that no matter what, I was gonna get through this. No matter what, I was, gonna, I was gonna survive. But he said, I also simultaneously had the ability to face the grim reality in front of me. And he held that tension where he didn't, he wasn't like, oh, this is no big deal. But he said, no matter what, I'm going to get through this. And I thought, how much of that is like the gospel paradox? It's not pessimism. It's not unfounded optimism. It's gospel-centered realism, which allows us, in a sense, to be okay, even if things aren't okay. So how do we take steps in that today? I mean, this sounds great, but what do I do with it? Yeah, um, I would say Paul's encouragement is very helpful. He says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And in this, he actually uses a bunch of architecture terms. 
And so when he says stable, it was the Greek word for laying a strong foundation for a building. So he's saying first, live in a constant state of being securely rooted on the foundation of Jesus. Um, and Colossians 2, 6, or 2, 6 or 7, a couple of verses later, Paul puts it this way. He says, you need to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And so we actually were having a short conversation before this. One, you know, especially for you Christians that are watching, one way you can do this is learn your theology. Theology is so important. Spend more time and energy in prayer and understanding the hope of the gospel that the New Testament talks about than watching the latest COVID conspiracy video on YouTube. Like just disproportionately invest. <laughs> There's in, none of those out no, there. No, I, 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 just hypothetically speaking. <laughs> the next thing is uh, remember your mission. So the second term he uses is steadfast and he's kind of building on the metaphor. So the first one was talking about a stable foundation. Steadfast is this, you know, building a stable building on top of that. And the metaphor is that we need to be unwavering in our mission, despite all odds, difficulties, and trials. And we talked about this at the partners meeting on Wednesday, that the last thing that Jesus told us to do as Christians is great commission. Kind of my summary of it is just go out into the world and make disciples of all different types of people. Teach them to obey everything that I command you and told you to do. Baptize them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And don't forget, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And I was like, you know what? That actually might be the promise you need to write down right now. Put it, write it down, put it on a three by five card, put it somewhere you can see it. This promise that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think the third thing is, is really is just don't shift your hope. You know, anxious times reveal where our hopes lie. And then one sense, tests reveal truth. And so, yeah, of course it's natural to be worried, concerned, um, but just observe yourself. What do you find yourself getting riled up about? What do you find yourself, you know, getting, getting heated, getting anxious, a lot of energy coming? To pay attention to that. And when you start to feel that bubble up, use that as an opportunity to just remind yourself, hey, this is where my hope should lie. Everything's going to be okay. Even if everything is not going to be okay. Because one day we're going to stand before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is a fact. That is never going to be taken away from you. No circumstances can alter that at all. So therefore, we can be people of hope. So good. Um, so what would you say to somebody that wants to experience that type of hope? Because that sounds so amazing. How yeah. can I experience that? It's a big question. Simply to start would be to just place your trust in Jesus, who the scriptures call our living hope. Remember, you know, Jesus is in the renovation business. One of his most popular calls was repent and believe the good news. And it's such good news that salvation is not based on our performance or our ability to be good. It's based on Jesus and what he has done. And if you want to know more about this, like, please send us a message, like c connect with us. We'd love to talk with you through, I mean, it's really easy right now. We can just talk to you through Zoom. Soon we can talk to you on the, on the front lawn, have a cup of coffee. There's lots of stuff we can do. Please reach out to us because this, this hope doesn't have to be a pipe dream. So let me uh, close this up in prayer. Lord, uh, you are so good. We thank you that we can have a real hope. I want to pray right now for those who are feeling anxious and stressed, worried, unsettled, that 
we would be able to embrace this gospel paradox uh, that we know for sure that our, that our future is secured, that we, everything's going to be okay, even if things aren't going to be okay, which can then help us live as people of confidence in the present. So thank you for your love for us. And I pray, amen.